You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Tony Duchesne here, and welcome to Drinks with Tony. This week, my guest is Erica Kraus. She's the author of Tell Me Everything, the story of a private investigation. We chat how Erica became a private investigator. Harriet the Spy and Tony Robbins, what do they have in common? Fear of someone stealing our ideas. How Erica found Chuck Polinick's address. Why I'm still upset with Chuck Polinick, and so much more. Hi, I'm Erica Krause, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. Yeah. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Erica Krause. She's the author of Tell Me Everything. The story of a private investigation. Erica, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much, Tony, for having me on the show. I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, like <laughs> this, like, so you, you, you come to this with the excitement. <laughs> I do. I do come to this with excitement. I'm excited to talk to you. <laughs> Have you come to any of your um, interviews with this book with dread? Um, mostly because really? of the subject. Well, yeah. most of the subject's rough, you know. So sometimes I've been like, "Oh my god, how am I going to talk about this?" <laughs> but I'm yeah. excited to talk, talk to you because I know you're gonna you're gonna make it less dreadful. <laughs> I'll make it less dreadful. That's that's gonna be the, yeah. I hope I can get a blurb from you one day on one of yes, my books where, where 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 it just says this this novel is less dreadful than his last one. <laughs> I'll be like, oh no, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Tony makes life less dreadful. Is what I'm gonna say. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. Oh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna put that on my dating profile. <laughs> I'll, I'll, credit, I'll credit you though. I'll, I'll definitely credit you. Sounds great. <laughs> never, never, uh, never deny credit. We're credit. Right, what, what, right. Are, all right, I can't remember. Are you um you're you're not in Los Angeles. You're kind of far away, right? Yeah, I'm in Colorado right now. Oh, so, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. I saw that's right cuz I saw you the last time I I remember because I think you were at AWP when it was in Los Angeles. Oh, in LA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and yeah, yeah. I, and I was walking been... out of one of the after parties and right. I saw you and I recognized you because I did an article on you and I and I saw you know and it was in were the Were you newspaper. wearing a hat? You I probably was, yeah. I I remember where you were, and I remember your hat. <laughs> yeah, and I was, and I and you're like, who is this crazy stranger in downtown Los kidding? Angeles following me? And then <laughs> Not so I, even, and I said, Erica Kraus, the very, and it's just like, well, I guess he knows me. So someone, so someone's serving me papers, or it's a friend. I know, I know, right? You never, you never want to answer, right? You're like, I didn't do it. <laughs> Yeah, that's my cousin right exactly right. <laughs> oh it's good fun it's good fun walking in uh neighborhoods at night and you know all right. <laughs> and assaulting who, strangers who is around me who is around oh me? god yeah <laughs> but where do you live like do you live in a suburb or do you live in a city i am in a city-ish kind of place yeah, yeah. i mean I a cafe, identify... you can, walk. can you walk to a cafe yes 
walked to several. I could walk to buses. I, oh I like, man! I high living here. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> urban intensive. Yeah, I can walk to university. I can really? walk to lots of things. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you teach there? Too? I, I teach actually at a nonprofit called Lighthouse Writers Workshop. There, there are all these kind of small, uh, well, they're not, it's not actually small. It's, um, it's actually huge, but um, there are these literary arts nonprofits that have sprung up like Lighthouse and The Loft in Minneapolis, Grub Street in Boston. Oh, um, right. Yeah. These di different kinds of, you know, Gotham in New York. So there are these little um, places to sort of fill needs that universities don't necessarily. I also do teach at a university in Denver, um, Regis University at their Mile High MFA program. And I just started there recently. Oh, yeah. And yeah. What, did you just start this like last year? Yeah, last summer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. How, how, yeah. Was, how was the first uh, year? It's, well, it hasn't even been a year yet. It's been oh, like, it's I, been what, like three months or something? I can't tell time. But uh, yeah, it's been great so far. And, you know, and Lighthouse has been wonderful. I've been teaching there since 2008, teaching writing classes. So yeah, and we have a two-year two pro pro program there. So uh, it's really, um, I, I feel lucky with my teaching life. Oh, that's cool. I just, just yeah. to make you aware, my power went out, but I think it just came back on. So, what? so if we, so if, yeah, yeah. So I, I got to tell you, like, like I am Mer Mercury in retrograde right now. I, yesterday yeah. I was, I was on uh, my video call with my therapist and she was, do you know what EMDR is where you have, you yeah, wait? yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. So she does EMDR on me. Does she do the, it with the, the fingers or does she do uh, it with the, there's um, a ball, there's a ball on the screen. So, cause we're online. Is it and, automated? Automated EMDR? No, she does it. So she could do oh. it on her end and gotcha. control it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I didn't know my internet went out and a ball is still going and going. <laughs> going, and, going. <laughs> and then I'm like, is she testing me? Is this a test? And I was like, you know, and her name's Michelle. And I'm like, Michelle, are you testing me? <laughs> and it, like, am I supposed to stay stop? Is this like an assertiveness uh, situation? <laughs> <laughs> and then I look and I'm like completely offline. So it was, and then I was like, oh, oh okay. It, it wasn't a, um, she wasn't testing my nerves. <laughs> That's, that would really, yeah. Now you need more therapy to get over your botched EMDR yeah, yeah. session with your therapist. <laughs> I'm, I'm stuck in my EMDR mode. Oh, that we, I'm, I'm stuck on the trauma that we were on yesterday. I don't get it oh. back till next week. No, no. I think but, it uh, didn't. Didn't that arise from people walking through w the woods and seeing lights on different sides? You know what I mean? I, I think I read about that and how they felt calmer when they were going um, bilaterally, like walking foot by foot and also looking left to right, left to right. Is that, is that how it came? I've about? heard that too. And it's, right. it's very, it intrigues me to know when, cause that makes so much sense because right. when, especially if you're in nature, it's just, it's so we forget how important it is for us to just look at nature and walk through right. nature. Right. So um, that's why I like li living out here is that it's just nature's everywhere and you don't, you can't avoid it really. So it, it's a constant reminder to yeah. sort of get out of your little world and look at the bigger world that's yeah. slowly boiling around us. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, but, uh, but you know, when you talk about Grub Street and uh, um, mm -hmm. Gotham and all that stuff. Yeah. I think they, they, I think they do a good curation of uh, in, uh, instructors and, and that's what makes it great. Mm -hmm. It's you're not, um, you're not tied to having to just, you know, uh, what do you call it? Have one mentor. You can kind of bounce around and probably get a lot right. of work done too. Right. And, you know, I know where I teach, there's a, 
like you can you can take a class for a day or you can be in a two-year program like a book writing pro program or mm -hmm. you know there's all these different levels um and there's a lot of community stuff like if you want to teach in the prisons you can teach in the prisons i mean there's like a lot of cool stuff that they do that universities don't necessarily do um yeah, have you teached in? Have you taught in a prison? That is my ambition. I want. It's uh, something I'm dying to do. Um, right. I have not. I've taught in schools, like like um, younger younger folk, um, mm -hmm. and university. And then, um, but I, I really, really want to teach in a prison. That I'm just. It, it's such a time commitment, even just the travel um, to a prison. <laughs> but but I do know there's some programs where they they're like correspondence kind of teaching mentoring um too as well but huh. yeah. yeah i'm i'm scared to teach in a prison just because i don't want to go to a prison really why I not i don't i've had a fear of prisons all my life i think you you are maybe imagining they're going to keep you in there right yeah yeah and maybe they're like they're gonna know claustrophobia yeah they're gonna they, know yeah, all the bad things you did yeah 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 <laughs> it's, it's growing up in a strict religion and always feeling guilty they're just gonna be like they'll know oh, yeah. they'll know what i did right or maybe the power will go off and you know you'll be locked in there forever or no, get exactly i'm yeah. never i am never teaching in a prison thank you for really? thank you for solidifying that no you know what <laughs> i might i just might have to ask the doctor for a little bit of xanax and <laughs> like oh, I, you know, I know people have done it and they say it was their favorite teaching experience of their lives. Um, so it's something I will do as soon as I have time. I, it's, it's on my bucket list of things to do. What, what are their, what are their reasons that it was so gratifying to them? The, that the students were real, you know, they've yeah. had lives and they've done things, you know, uh, of course they're all innocent, but, um, you know, but like some, some of them, you know, are not, you know, and some, some say like, you know, this, you know, this is what I did. And they're very, um, candid and also they're so bored in there that they, uh, value it more, you know, cause there's not much to do in a prison. Right. So, uh, the student, you, you know, you literally have a captive audience and they will, uh, take what you say more seriously than say someone who's just doing it as a hobby. Well, now I'm going because that's yeah, you should great. do it. You belong yeah. in prison, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's I, I I really you know I really think that like reading and writing, um, mm. just even w whether we're in prison or out of prison, it's it's like it enriches our lives. Where people who don't do it don't understand. That they could right. just be enriching their lives by writing their thoughts down by you know absolutely storytelling. Absolutely. It's it's all so important. Do you have a book that saved your life? <laughs> I got <laughs> I got a library that saved my life. It was the Burlingame really? Library in uh really? up in the San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah. My uh really? I, yeah. I was in the Jehovah's Witnesses and my friend was uh disfellowshipped and he killed himself. So oh. I was grieving that and I went to the elders to ask for help. And they told me, um, no, he was already dead to uh, Jehovah. So we, we've already grieved him. And I was having my own suicidal thoughts. And I never really read anything that was had anything to do unless it was Bible-based like stuff. And so I was 22, and I went to the library, and I went to the psychology section. And I was just like, how do I not kill myself? And how do I grieve Gibby? And 
I read Tony Robbins. And then <laughs> I know, I know it's so bad. It's so bad. And then, but then that kind of led to Wayne Dyer. And then like the psychology section is kind of close to the poetry section. So then I started reading poetry and then all of a sudden I started reading novels and that just, that changed everything. I was like, these are conversations I have not ever had with anybody that, that are getting to the root of emotions and humanity and I was after that, I'm still insatiable about novels. So Did, is there a particular novel that just really where that one was like you were like, okay, I wanna I wanna write these, I wanna understand these. Like do you remember a particular one? Yeah, Newt Hampson Hunger. Really? I, okay, I, I read, have to read, I read that. Yeah, I yeah, it's I kind of try to reread it now and I'm like, oh, I was uh, I was a young, uh, very influenced dude. Right. But he was, but he was Norwegian, and it kind of, um, and he kind of have had that, uh, what do you call it? The character, I'm sure the the author too, uh, uh -huh. had a uh, had a, what do they call that? It's it's a very Scandinavian thing where you really hold everything in and you don't right. tell anybody your problems, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, and so, I thought that was just a male thing. Uh, <laughs> It's, it's Scandinavian males are worse. I can, I can, I can, I can tell you from my own experience. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I, think... I was, I was so excited to tell my grandpa that I read a Norwegian author, and and he's all that Nazi, and I was like, okay, what oh. do I not know? But turned out he, he wrote this novel in the 1890s, but then it turned out like you know Hitler era. He started to become a sympathizer for the Nazis. And so, oh, so wow. Norway is just like, our greatest author is now. Right. And they're just like, oh my God, why? Anyway. Right, right. Well, you're you're the only writer I know who's gone from Tony Robbins to poetry to reading <laughs> a, a Nazi sympathizer. So <laughs> you know, like check that box I, he on. Wasn't, he wasn't in the 1890s. <laughs> of course, of course. No, 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 not when he was writing <laughs> the book that changed your life. <laughs> but I'm sure that felt like a betrayal because you know, you fall in love with something, a piece of art, and then you find out they're a terrible person um at some point, right? And yeah, that, yeah. It can really, I think, feel like a huge betrayal. Because it's like your imaginary friend, you know, who's turned out to be some so well, yeah, well, fortunately, yeah. I didn't only have one book. So, you know, it's like right. after I was done with that, I was on to the next. I was on to the next. I was finding right. Henry Miller and Louis Ferdinand Celine just going nuts. Right. So and right. I'm just like, I, I, I think I am one of these guys. And then it right. only took 20 years to get published from there. Well, <laughs> you know, oh, I'll be on the shelf. Not... I'll be on the shelf yeah. so fast. I could do this in a year. <laughs> I remember thinking in my younger years, I'd be like, I'll just publish one book a year. That's like, you know, easy, easy, <laughs> easy. No <Yeah>. problem. <laughs> Daniel Steele does it. It's got to be easy. Well, yeah. Her employees do it. I have right. to say. <laughs> was, was there a book? Was there a book for you where you went, oh, man, I need to join this tribe of writers? Yeah. I mean, I always I always loved books I, I mean when i was like, really young harriet the spy was it for me i was oh like, this is, cool yeah because it was so weird and um and it's you know she she was more of a real person she wasn't some she wasn't like admirable you know you read about these admirable he heroines and stuff she was like some kind of like 
yeah, a lot of problems. And, um, and I, I remember being like, I want to be a writer and I want to be a spy, you know, and then I grew up, I'm like, yeah, I became a writer. I became a PI. So like it kind of actually, I think that was really influential for me. Also another, um, but the book that made me want to write, I think specifically like really, um, really inspired the writing piece alone was this book. It's um, no one's read it. It's by Margaret Atwood. It's her first book. It's called the edible woman. And it's like a really feminist book. And I didn't know you could write like that. You know, I didn't mm. know you could write those kinds of ideas in that way. Um, yeah. Of course, it's like her later books are, you know, objectively better, I guess. But this one had such raw energy and this sort of like feminist fervor that I hadn't ever seen ever. Mm. And, um, and that was like, it was so eye opening to me. I remember where I read it. I read it like I was opening boxes in the basement trying to see if there's anything good in there and I found this book and I I read it in a basement and it was like this I don't know it was really eye-opening for me that book um, I've read it since and it's of course like your experience I was like oh well that was a good book for me when I was 18 but um. yeah. Yeah, exactly exactly <laughs> right right it's yeah. it's so intriguing I just read Ulysses I like I finished it last oh, night wow. I finished it last night at 8 36 oh p.m I like oh I, my god I time stamped it <laughs> and um and it's just like i i was like oh my god you know it's i tried it a few times over the last you know maybe 18 20 years mm -hmm. and i always kind of tossed it and then i right. went okay it's a 100 year anniversary of the publishing <laughs> i'm gonna read okay. it and there was this library in ireland for like 15 pounds you can listen mm -hmm. you can listen to their lectures on it before you get uh, to the sections Oh, cool. So I just committed to it. And I'm just like, and now I, I'm like, I think it was good for me not to read it because I don't think I'd ever would have put a pen to paper if I read it because there was right. no way I could ever write a Ulysses. It, no, it's one of the, it, you wouldn't want to really, you know what I mean? It's it's itself. It it doesn't really, it's just this sort of closed loop, right? You know, you yeah. read it and go, wow, he did that. And I'm over here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, doing my thing, you know, and you can l learn so much from it, but it's not necessarily, um, you know, like, what would be the point of of writing another Ulysses? He did it, you know what I mean? Right. It just yeah. it's it's one of the it's it's one of those where at this point in my life I'm like, wow, that that just scares me because then I would if I read that when I was young and really impressionable, I'd be like, oh, that's how you have to write. Well, I'm not, I'm out of this game, you know. Mm -hmm. so. Well, that's that's what I. I did for a really long time in my life is I'd read something amazing that would blow my mind. And then I'd say, Oh, well, that's what writing is. That's what I'm supposed to do. Completely missing the point that like, that's what they did. And there are so many different people and so many different ways to write and think there, you know, there are as many ways as there are people. So you really have to find the way you write and what you're about. You know what I mean? And I think it's hard when you read these masterpieces and you're, because they're, what they're doing is they're fulfilling their, personhood in that book right but you don't you don't realize like that has to be an individual process and that that you can never replicate it you know you can learn from it but you can't if you replicated yeah. it you'd just be being someone else you know What's yeah and, that? Then, and what inspired what has inspired me and kept my delusion going is <laughs> going to like bookstores and reading some of these books and going this is terrible and it got right. published and right. that's kind of where i get even more inspiration because i'm like i could be less right. terrible than this Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's because a lot of the um, publishing houses, they're they're essentially run by corporate marketing people now. So, you know, when all the imprints got bought up by five huge 
companies, then um, then they really got very capitalist about it. They and before that, it really wasn't that way. It was more art driven. The editors had a lot of control, but now it's all about the marketing folk. My agent said that when um, when she started out, the marketing people weren't even allowed in the in the meetings when they were making decisions about which books to buy, and now they run them. So it's all. Oh my God! Really? Yeah. That's what's going on there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's turned into because it's turned into a corporate <clears throat> model because a lot of when once the publishing houses consolidated into those top the big five, um, then you know these MFA types came in. They're like, okay, this is a money losing business. You got it. You got to tighten up, and here's how, right? And a lot of the people who are running these meetings, they don't read. They don't even read the books they're making decisions on. So, it's, oh, so gross. Yeah. Yeah, oh. it's pretty gross. And so if you get ever get like these rejections that say, you know, here's why we're rejecting it. And then it's all things that don't make any sense. It's because it might have those words might have come from someone who didn't actually read the book. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing I don't like about that is that it's based on comps. So basically it's like real estate, you know, how real estate, you know, th if this household for this much, then this one is sure to sell for that much. Right. Um, they do this with books. They'll say, well, this book is like that book and that book didn't do well, or this book is like that book and that book did do well. And the problem is what about the books that are kind of new and different and don't have very good comps? Um, yeah. then it's really hard for these marketing folk to make their decisions. So they'll often say no. And I'm, I'm thinking like, what would catch 20, where would catch 22? Where's that comp? You know, where's right. Ulysses? Where's that comp? That those, you know, well, Ulysses wouldn't like be published today. Right. And that's the, that's the, yeah. unless, you know, unless there was a really huge Twitter following and then maybe. <laughs> oh my God. That social media following. It's, it's like, that's actually something they ask you these days. How yes, many followers do you have? I'm like, they'll look it up. Uh, yeah. They'll look it up. I'm like 12 and they're called the apostles. I'm the new Messiah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's my mom and my cousin and my, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. they're definitely going to buy the book. You're going to get 12 sales solid. Exactly. <laughs> What more can you ask for? I know. Oh, where's my advance? Right. For a million dollars. <laughs> right, right. Before I write the book, because I just pitched the idea and it was so right. brilliant. <laughs> I know. Oh God. I did actually sell tell me everything on um on proposal. I didn't I did you? I, yeah, I sold it and then wrote it, which is the first time for me. I've never done that before. Um, have you ever done that before? Any, no, I, I haven't. So What's it's that experience bizarre. like? Was there more pressure when you when you have that? You know what? I thought there would be, especially because yeah. I'm writing this like, you know, story about oh my god, about like you know a lawsuit and Title Nine and sexual assault and all these like really hard topics. And I was like, oh, this is going to be what have I done to myself? Really, it actually made things much easier, like much because I knew there was a home at the end of the rainbow right so it i didn't have all those um you know all those questions that you know when you're writing you're second guessing you're like is this too much or, you know is this gonna is this gonna be the thing that blows everything you know if i should I even go in this direction you don't um ask those questions because you know that someone's gonna tell you at the other end someone's gonna say oh that's too much and this, this ruins the whole book or whatever you know what i mean like you're gonna get an answer because it's already sold and that was magical it'll never happen again but it was the it best could happen thing again not for me. Really? <laughs> well, not, you know, I'm not that writer. I, I write something weird every time, you know, so it's, yeah. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a known quantity, if you know what I mean. Like, um, I've written, 
so far it's three books and three genres, you know? So how mm -hmm. can anyone be like, oh, well, she's like, you know, again, if I were a Daniel Steele, that would be, you know what you were going to get, you know? So yeah. it makes sense. But with me, it's like, who knows? I don't even know. So, uh, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was kind of amazing. Um, and if I could do it that way every time I really would. Wouldn't um, it be nice to have like a publishing patron who's just like, <laughs> you know, Oh wait, we can't wait to publish your thing next. It's, right but people yeah. paid for those in other ways if you know what i mean <laughs> oh, like usually the there's like pre me too back when i used yeah. to be able to give a blowjob to someone right. and they would publish me it's just like <laughs> who, who do i have to blow to get published here right it's like, right it's dr stern over there i'm like i'm all, yeah. all right Drop all right pants. okay it's the price <laughs> you pay yeah yeah so i i guess that there's like a you know upside and downside to everything <laughs> but the marketing thing is just atrocious because it's just like yeah it's kind of sad yeah it's and that's the thing it's like i i i'm in this for the love i'm not in this for right. there's no reason to be a writer for money no. it's, it's, <laughs> it's the it's the worst financial decision you can make it is. but it's just it's way too soul enriching to not do it so right that's why but like i tell my students when they're like i don't even know if i should be doing this i'm like believe me you wouldn't have gotten this far if you didn't if you weren't compelled right because you yeah. get there's nothing pushing you in this direction and except for the love of books right that's you know you love books you want to make one that's the whole reason and there's there's no financial reward mo mostly you know and like what they call fame haha -ha. like you know the the you could have a Nobel laureate walking down the street. No one will know who they are, you know, except for like the geeks like us where we're like, Oh my God. But you know, most people wouldn't even be able to recognize, you know, Papa Hemingway. They wouldn't even, if they saw a picture, right. Yeah. They'd say, who's that guy with the beard. So it's, you know, it's really, um, it really is just about the love of it, I think, which makes it pure. I, I, I like that about it, actually. I like that it's this thankless job that you do because out of pure love, you know? Yeah, I, I do. It's I do, too. There's it's almost um, I mean, it, it, I always say storytelling is my religion. It's, it, right. it's like if someone goes, hey, did you you know, did you like um, did you like this uh, book? And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't be. I can't lie about it because if I lie, yeah. then the gods of storytelling will zap me of all my storytelling. It's like, really? I got this weird karma stuff. So people will be like, you know, Oh, did you like my story at that reading? And I was just like, I'll say things like, it's, it's great to see you. And all they hear oh. is great. So I, I can't sit there and go, it was good. Cause I was just, Oh, you mean that one where I rolled my eyes all the way to the back of my head, Interesting. but I try to, I try to be a little more, uh, clever with let's just deflect so it's let's really cute i'm not even gonna ask you if you like my book so that's not gonna happen um <laughs> that's really really inter that's interesting because you're you know you're saying it's your religion but you just told me that you're jehovah's witness you were oh, i jehovah's used to be yeah 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 so and you so did you fall out of grace or however it's phrased as you fell into in love with books is that what happened yeah, were you like ruined yeah, by camus of. or something yeah, I, I was yeah i was ruined by camus that, and that was a huge me too moment uh no I was... <laughs> oh right no kidding <laughs> i have no doubt there yeah. no it's it was very gradual it wasn't so it wasn't like a smash cut it was very gradual and it took about a decade for me um right. to, and so 
didn't go straight to it. But then I, I, it just, it just storytelling kind of just means everything to me. I guess yeah. it's, it's, uh, I, I, I don't know. I kind of revere it maybe a little more because I've always feel like, and this is just funny because I feel that, you know, for the most part I have caught up, but I always feel like I'm trying to catch up to be like a mm. normal reader and a normal writer. That's why I'm like, you know, I never read Ulysses before. Okay, let's give that a try. But we dicks down the pipe, you know. Oh, it's so good. Oh my God. Yeah. You have to read that book. It's yeah. I'm, I'm like, good. I'm kind of just catching up. I feel like constantly, but, but it's fun. It's just, there's a, there's a never ending thing to grasp for that you know that i'm always going to go after so right right so do you tell us stories in your regular life like are you like a storytelling kind of guy <laughs> i love how you do the snap i guess it, it's like it's like beat generation stuff yeah dude yeah, yeah. It, was, it was me and well Dean i grew Moriarty. up that way no i grew up that way you know it's a lot of a lot of storytelling you know like really? not not yeah not even not just in my terrible family but also like with friends you know we would just tell stories we tell stories that we already knew it was just a thing i think part of it is a jewish thing honestly like it's just storytelling but you know i learned something recently well relatively recently that um for us to remember anything they you know they the infamous they um have done studies about how to remember things you need three things three elements need to be present one of them is narrative there has to be a story to it of some kind and the other two i think are place and um and emotional content right mm. so that's what the story has you know so without those components so the what they ended up doing is studying those people who can memorize um sequences of numbers like they can like 600 sequences of numbers and what those memory you know gurus do is they assign those three elements to those three those numbers right so like three will represent you know, they'll make up a story, you know, a story about, I, I don't know exactly how they do it, but they'll make yeah. up a story that takes place in a certain place with a certain emotional charge to it. And that, and they'll call it like, it's just stuff that happens in their memory palace, you know, oh. and they'll create a, like a kind of clue like narrative that happens in the memory palace and different places in the memory palace. Um, but it made me think a lot about narrative because, you know, narrative has all those three things in it, right? That's what a novel has or you know even a poem um has those three things and it's really central to us as, as humans so we can have a memory you know without memory we don't have history we don't have progression and growth as a species right so um yeah. so it's sort of like how we're, we're just wired to story yeah it's kind of interesting it is really interesting because i've thought about it a lot especially um you know, over the years as I've been teaching and, you know, people are just like, oh, I, I can never write. I can never write. And I'm like, no, you're telling mm -hmm. stories every day. You know, right. tell me how you got here. Tell me what person cut you off. What was that, you know, mm -hmm. on the on the drive over? What did that person look like? What did you think in your head? What do you think that person had going on in their life when they cut you off? And right. it's just we're all we're always kind of gossiping and telling each other what we did. To, you know, like even me right. telling you about my Tony Robbins stuff and all that. Right. It's just like, that's just. That's we're just um, communication storytelling, and it's right. and we and we bring in character. We're always bringing them in. So then I always tell them, now you got to learn how to do it on the page because that's a completely different story. <laughs> totally right, yeah. Because what works verbally does just not work on the page, and what works on the page does not work verbally. You know, yeah. sometimes. So it's like, but it, but the two can communicate with each other. I think I, I I think a good exercise when you're writing a story is to tell that story to somebody, you know, like 
like it's something that happened to you um, and see what you what you leave out, you know, and see Ooh. what you put in, you know, to see like, okay, well, maybe that's not as significant. Maybe the, you know, five page description of the butterfly isn't as important, actually, <laughs> as I thought it was. And maybe this other piece is really the point that I'm trying to make. Because I think a lot of I times like you're a lot. Yeah, because I think you're often well, you're so verbal, right? That's your you know, you're verbal, very verbal. Am I? You're doing the show. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I enjoy, I enjoy, I enjoy good conversations. Yes. Right. Do you verbally process when you're writing? Do you just, you know, talk aloud and mutter? Uh, only every once in a while. And I'll catch myself. Mm -hmm. I was doing, um, this was a couple weeks ago. I was doing dialogue for the novel I'm working on right now. And <laughs> And as I was like rewriting it, I was gesturing how the character would gesture in that situation. And then I like yeah, kind of see how myself. it goes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, uh huh, blah, blah. you know, it's just it was their point of view, and I was just so into their point of view. I was actually gesturing how I would want them to gesture. Oh, yeah, I'm constantly doing that, and like with dialogue, you know, I'm trying to, I'm always muttering the dialogue, and I'm like, that doesn't sound right. I wouldn't say that. No one would say that, you know. And trying to to fit it together what do you you said you're working on a novel now what are you working yeah. on it's a it's a it's a well i found out it's called speculative fiction i don't know what yeah. these marketers you know how they do it but yeah, yeah it's a it's a novel that's set in um the subconscious and in the dream world oh yeah that, have you read um kazuo ishiguro's um oh gosh the the unconsoled i was like no. where is it it's over there have you read I, need that to, I need to read that. Yeah, it's it's just like more controversial novel because um, it, it's he, he wrote it with what he calls dream logic. So like the first scene in the book, I really love him. Um, so the first scene in the book, it, it takes place in this elevator ride. But they, they have like, I don't know, three hours worth of conversation in the elevator ride from one floor to another right you know so it's like it's like a dream you know yeah. and like or, or like you're trying to get somewhere but you can never actually get there you know there's this way you know there's this detour here and this and and you're trying you're trying to do something very simple but it never gets achieved you know oh, it's really cool. interesting yeah you might want to check it out i don't sometimes it's i don't know if you like reading things that are in the same vein as what you're writing yeah he um, well he sounds like he's way more um way more intelligent i'm kind of writing up i'm <laughs> I'm writing mine is kind of a buffoon comedy so it's we'll see. yeah well, we'll that, see yeah but that that could be good then you know i think sometimes if you read something that's very similar to your work then it's then you start going oh crap now i might as well just throw it out right but if it's really different that can be yeah that can well, be kind of cool and then at the same time i've learned that every time you write something, there's going to be like three movies out that come out about it and two mm -hmm. three other books so it's just like it's almost like you know maybe these ideas are in the air and i just happen yeah. to grab them and someone else grabbed one too and it's right you know but but at the, in the end they'll have their take on it and i'll have my take on it right and, and they'll win still that they'll fear. win because they'll have followers <laughs> that well that's the fear of being scooped i think you know yeah which, yeah which was nice with my memoir because i was like no one's done this job but me i'm the only one in the entire world that has done this job and no one else can write about it but me you know yeah. what i mean like even if they wrote about a, like that that lawsuit even if they wrote about some different aspect of it it's still not going to be what i'm doing you know right. so so i had it was uh, that for me is the only time i felt that way every other time i was like oh i'm going to write about 
this book in like a, a minute before, you know, someone famous is going to come out with it. <laughs> right, exactly. Really close, yeah. Stephen King decided, of mine, to, yeah. <laughs> decided yeah. to take on. Yes. The, yeah. yeah, that it, happened to a friend of mine. And like, you know, her book had sort of the same premise as Gone Girl. And then that was published like three months before her book came out. So everybody just compared it. I want to read her version. What was it? What book is that? Her name is Heidi Pittler. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, but it like, they're very, very different books, mm -hmm. you know, like yeah. they're, um, so it's, it's not really fair to, um, you know, to, to compare those kinds of things because, you know, right. Gone Girl is like, you know, it, it's, it's got its own different emphasis. It's, it's a thriller, you know, and Heidi yeah. Pittler's just, you know, was, um, you know, is literary. So you've got, it's, I don't know. So it was it really, um, it's, it's sort of not fair. You know? Well, it's, it, yeah, it's, I mean, on that level where they're also like adapting it to film and stuff, it gets crazy. But I think, you know, with right. every story has been told, I don't think there's anything really unique. It, what's unique is who we are and what right. we bring to it. Right. Uh, you know, it's, that's, it's, that's what, um, you know, uh, that's what I at least tell myself. Right. When, I, when I'm weeping. <laughs> when you're weeping into your beer and drinks with Tony. <laughs> Where's your, do you have a drink? Can, um, can I got me? kombucha. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, then I don't feel so bad because I was like, I don't have any beer in the house and it's drinks with Tony and yeah. I've got like water. <laughs> but, 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 but I was but, like, I'll just say it's vodka. I'll just say it's, you know. Well, it's, it is then. drinks still. Yeah, I wanted to change the it name because I had it, <clears throat> I started this 20 years ago. And then I stopped oh, it when wow. I moved to LA for mm -hmm. to do the to do a film, and then mm -hmm. when the film was released five years later, mm -hmm. I was just like I it, it felt like nothing happened, and I was like, when was the last time I felt like happy? And I was like, oh my god, in studio doing drinks with Tony, maybe Aww. I could do it as a podcast when I'm in Los Angeles now, and that yeah. was in 2018, and so I. You know, it, this is kind of my happy spot to be able to just talk to writers. This, I'm so happy to be in your happy spot. This yeah. Is cool. Oh yeah. Oh, I don't make I don't make any money on this. This is this oh, isn't a gig. Not. This is this is yeah. um. But this is you know this is better than making money. This is pure joy because I get to talk to people who are great at what they do. Oh, right. speaking of not noticing people, this uh, what we were talking about a little while ago. Chuck Polinick was one of my first guests. No and way. Yeah, and we were in Berkeley. Oh my god, we were in Berkeley, and we had we had a uh, lunch together, and I taped it. That was, uh -huh. as, you know, and they, and they did, and the publicist, the publicist offered him to me. It was just so weird. And, That's cool. Uh, yeah. So then after lunch, he's like, "I got to go find my escort." I didn't even know what that meant yet, and I was just like, "Oh, you're gonna go get laid?" You know, but they their media, his media escort. We're walking through. He said she's going to be at the Ber she's going to go to the library. So we we're walking through the Berkeley Library, and my head is held high because I'm walking with Chuck freaking Paul. Right. And we're walking, and we're and I'm looking around, going, "Oh my God, nobody knows it's Chuck Polinick walking through." That's nobody exactly knows what I'm Fight talking Club about. Guy. And this yeah, like Fight Club just came out too, like two years oh, earlier, three years earlier. Right, this right. is the Fight Club guy. And I we're know. walking up and down all over the place in the Berkeley Library. And I know someone's going to notice him. And then they're going to look at me and go, well, you must be great too. <laughs> <laughs> and famous. That's awesome. We walked all over Berkeley. We finally found his escort. And 
nobody recognized him. Nobody even knew when, when, um, when, oh, I was married at the time. So Mm -hmm. my wife was with me. And as she was settling the check, the waitress said, oh, what was that guy taping? And she's like, oh, that's Chuck Palnick. And she's like, I was serving Chuck Palnick. She didn't even know. So Well, of course not. Right. That's what we're talking about. I have a, um, I, when I wrote, after I wrote my novel, I was like, I, you know, I, I asked everyone for blurbs that I could think, you know, oh, find this guy. So yeah. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to ask Chuck Paul on a, but you know, he, he's the kind of like a little reclusive, right? So yeah. I'm surprised you even got anything with him, right? Because you can't really find him, right? But I was like, yeah. I'm a PI. I can find him. I know how to find him. So I sent, you know, I sent a blurb request, partly, I knew he'd never do it, but it was just partly, honestly, just to, because I wanted him to know that I could find him. <laughs> I love that. And did you get a reply? No, of course not. I didn't get, um, I did the same with Tom's pension. I did, I found like every recluse writer that like, who's no one can find. And I was like, I'm just going to send it because I want them to know that I know where they are. It's so creepy. Yeah. So creepy. But I, I don't know. It's kind of sick, but. um, I was supposed to, well, (laughs) Chuck Palnitz's publicist had me writing a piece on him for Penthouse Magazine. It was going to be two Uh pages. Mm -hmm. And they bailed on me the week before I needed to get it in. And I was livid. I was just like, I'm like, I'm not talking to him again. Don't do, don't do this to me because I'm making a small amount of money. I've been setting this thing whole up. I've been pitching, pitching everything. And then fortunately I got urban Welsh because I had a, I, I had a way to get in touch with him. So I'm like, can we do, you know, immediately I'm like, I need to keep this article. <laughs> like, I'm right. like, can we do Urban Welsh? And they're like, oh yeah, that's great. And then got Urban Welsh. This is like two bucks a word, right? You know, like. Yeah. They I'm like, that is, prices that's going to be like half my rent and it's going right. to take me, you know, it's just. Right. And so right. I was really pissed and I'm still kind of pissed at uh, Polinek for maybe, go, maybe going last minute. I don't think I'll do penthouse. And I'm like, dude, some of us are like <laughs> scraping by you rock star. Right. Right. Yes, and semi- also like, you know, was, was it like an ethical qualm? Because like you wrote about like bona fide sociopaths. So like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and if it was ethical, then, you know, if you had a problem with it, say no at the beginning, don't say no. Right, you know, right. Anyway, yeah. It's hard so. to get those gigs. Those, you know, those big glossy gigs. I, I remember I wrote one piece and it got me out of debt, you know, at one of yeah. those, because I was deep and it, and they were paying two bucks a word. And I was yeah. like, here's 4,000 words. And, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, my problems are suddenly over. It was just, it was, it's kind of, those are hard to get, you know? Um, well, they used to be most, easier to get, you know, and we're in a yeah, time when yeah. it's just, and now the even... payment's less. Now it's, they don't pay like they used to pay either. It's, yeah. And the regional thing. I remember when I first started, I could pl- I could get an article in a few different regions right? and it would be off of the same interview doing the same film right. and, and I could get paid like three to four times um, yeah. just with different angles on it or as a reprint. Mm-hmm. And that's but not with all gone. Yeah. It's yeah. all gone. Yeah. I know. The oh, world's going kids. to hell. Yeah. <laughs> Back in our day. I can shake my cane. <laughs> we can we can smoke on airplanes and I can get regional uh, money. <laughs> I remember I smoked on an airplane. I mean, that's I don't tell my son. You know, anyone I know that like who you know doesn't believe in smoking, but like, uh, but yeah, it's just it. I remember doing that. You know, yeah. 
you know, it's so, it's so funny when my husband and I sit around, we're talking about like, you know, remember when there was no internet? Yeah. <laughs> I remember all those times, you know, so it's like, yeah. so I, yeah, but you know, I, I do think there are new opportunities for writers that didn't exist before, you know? Yeah. Um, so it, it's all a trade-off. I, you know, people talk about how the world of writing is just sink, like a sinkhole. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I think it, like things decrease in qu quality and quantity here, but then there's still demand, you know, so that they sort of raise in another area, you know, some of the independent yeah. presses, for example, like I look at my, I, my bookcase and my favorite books, I'm like, oh my God, these are all small presses. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I do, and I do like some stuff from big presses too, of course, but like, um, but I feel like there's there's this new need for, you know, like I was saying, we were saying Ulysses wouldn't be published today with a big press, but you know, a small press, it would, because there's they're picking up the leavings, you know, the artistic right. leavings of other places. So, um, and also I think with the internet, there's you know there's more availability as far as knowing like knowing these things exist too so um yeah. so i'm hopeful i'm hopeful about the future i i, I have a lot of optimism for it too i, I make it yeah. seem like i don't but I, I i think like i was you know the the i don't know if, like the sensitivity editor thing is just disgusts me to no end oh the um, sensitivity reader you, that, readers out at, at yeah. uh at these publishers where they can they, you know it's <clears throat> right. that uh, there was um one, I've talked about this before, but Bruce Wagner, he wouldn't take the word fat out of a book and he mm -hmm. pulled out of the contract. And he's like, the person weighs like, it, the per, the character weighed like 500 pounds, but he yeah. couldn't use the word fat. <laughs> it's just like, well, that's funny because now people are saying, no, that's the word. You're supposed to say fat, not heavy, or, or you're not supposed to use a new euphemism. <laughs> no, it's the new, see, it changes every, every minute. You can't, right? Yeah, you can't keep up with it. You just got to use no. your voice. But yeah. um, but I mean, some things I understand when it's like directly offensive, but it's I you know, it's one thing that was actually I was really afraid of because I was writing such a controversial book. I was like, someone's going to contact me and be very angry with me oh, because I'm, you know, too old to sort of like know all the things, you know what I mean? Or or it changed yesterday and I didn't know. Um, and luckily that hasn't happened yet. But I think at some point it will, you know, at some point it'll yeah. be like, oh, wow, she used this word and this, you know, and now, now you're a pariah. <laughs> so that, can, I, that happens. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't buy into it. And I'm just, mm -hmm. you know, I was telling a friend of mine, I'm like, it doesn't matter. It's just like, there's going to be an audience for everything. And right. So, but well, like, well, let's talk. I mean, let's talk Conrad's about... on the outs, so like, <laughs> so is he? Won't... Well, he's pretty. He's pretty bad. Was he? Yeah. Oh, okay. I have no idea. Yeah, like he, you know, the N word is in the title of one of his books, so we'll just say, you know, he's. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, so like, <laughs> he's no longer. So there might be an audience for everything, but then like it again, it changes. So anyway, no, I'm exactly, sorry. exactly. Yeah. yeah so I'm I interrupted about... your question. I'm sorry about that. I don't even know what what, what was I saying. I think I think the acid. So now I want to talk about. Now I want to yeah, talk about the acid. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, uh, Oh, your book, like, because uh, let's mm -hmm. talk about your book for a uh, second, uh, you know, towards the end of the whole thing. <laughs> but, um, but, but, but it's interesting. We have to talk about the world first. <laughs> I know. We got to warm up to it. Then we right, know. right. <laughs> but uh, explain it, uh, to the audience, you're a private investigator and you're working mm -hmm. on this um, mm -hmm. case. And this case is a rape case. It's, a, it's heavy. Right. It was the first ever... Title IX sexual assault case. So before that point, the, you know, 
there have been rape cases forever, right? Since before biblical times, you know, but um, I think it started with the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of bad stuff that happens in there. Um, but no, I think it was like, um, so the situation was there was a female college student who was sexually assaulted by uh, a team, a football team, a division one, a football team um, and recruits at a recruiting event. You know, it wasn't, a it wasn't on campus. It was at a private party at her house and these people showed up and um, this happened and it turned out she wasn't the only uh you know survivor of those events it, the case really ballooned um what was different about it is usually the, um, ca these cases are tried in the criminal courts as a criminal case but there's a lot of uh, cases that just get thrown out for political reasons for any reason really and this was one of those you know like maybe so maybe the da really likes football you know like those kinds of things happen Ugh. right so yeah. yeah, it's really gross. So, um, yeah. so what ended up happening is, um, the person, I, the the lawyer, I was I was doing PI work for, at you know privately, just as a, a consultant. Uh, he got this case, and they were like, you know what? I think we can, we can use Title IX for this. You know, why don't we try? You know, and it was a big risk. It was at that time it was never done before. Um, and it was, and people didn't even understand. They're like, why are you suing the university for what um, these individuals did? And so we had to sort of introduce that whole idea of this is a rape culture. This is, you know, this is a discrimination issue because, you know, women can't go to school and have the same safety as men. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so these were really new concepts that we had to explore and we had a lot of opposition because talk about, you know, religions, uh, football's a religion at these big. Oh, yeah. 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 So it was it was hard. Uh, a lot. That's of people where all their funding there. is. Right. I mean, that's where a lot of it's not even religion. It's just like money. Yeah. It's all money. Yeah. Ugh. But all, beyond money, too. It's uh, there's this just this culture of, well, that's the price you pay you know, and by you, it's women, yeah. <laughs> right? So, um, so it was a, it was a big case. It pr brought out all sides of people and the case got huge. You know, we started with one survivor, it ended up being 11 mm. and, um, and, you know, and it spanned everything, you know, there, we had witnesses who were sex workers who serviced the team and the recruits, you know, mm. were like hired to, you know, basically spend the night with, a 16 or 17 year old boy visiting wow. campus. I mean, it was, it got really intense, you know, um, and lots of, you know, lots of witnesses came out from the woodwork and, and a lot of them didn't want to testify, understandably, and, yeah. and some did, you know, so it was, um, and there were people who were fighting us and they were, you know, the lawyer I was working for got death threats. It got real. <laughs> There was yeah. a grand jury investigation. It was everything. It was everything. And um, and the funny thing is I worked on cases after that and none of them had the drama of this case because this case really sort of was the one that just broke free of all the, um, the just broke all the conventions. So mm -hmm. we saw a lot of drama. And when I, you know, when I was thinking about writing this book, I was like, it really has all the elements of a story. You know, it has the whole arc and all the characters and, and, and then my own intersection with it as a survivor of sexual abuse, who's mm. investigating this crime, um, these crimes really, uh, during this five-year period in what it did to me as a person, 
you know, good and bad. Right, <laughs> um, right. It's, that's, I, I mean, felt, that is not easy. That's being thrown into the no. fire of your own trauma. Right. And also having to, I mean, it was good and bad, right? Um, the amazing thing was that I got to actually do something about it. Because I think when you have experienced, you know, any kind of victimization, you're put in, you're thrust into this like passive position that you don't want. So it was an amazing opportunity to actually be active in the situation and to do something and to try. Yeah. Um, whereas I, I couldn't, you know, in my own situation, but, um, the hard thing was, you know, you spend every day thinking about this and, yeah. <laughs> um, and you have to like, you know, kind of battle your own feelings and, and your own blind spots too, from, from your own history. So, it, um, I think, I think my history made me way better at the job than I would have been. And I think it, in some ways it made me way worse and it mm -hmm. definitely made me more unethical. <laughs> So, so after all that, now, now that you're here, what, what was, what, like, what did you take away from it? Did you, you know, what, how did you, uh, your whole world must have shifted. It did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it shifted twice, really. Mm -hmm. It shifted when I was working on the case and then it shifted again when I was writing about it. Um, that was another, you know, huge, you know, battling the demons kind of time, you know, for me. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, mm -hmm. it, you know. I don't know. I, I learned a lot about myself and I learned again, good and bad. You know, I, I did some things that were wrong, you know, in investigating that case because I was so obsessed and I, I didn't know where the line was. I didn't have good boundaries boundaries anyway, but um, I definitely crossed them <laughs> in many ways. I, when I was writing, you know, I was writing the book, we did a legal review, you know, a lawyer looks at it to make sure that you're not um, going to go to jail immediately after it's published. And there are things he's like, you, you got to take this out or oh, you're wow. in trouble. So I had to like dumb things, you know, I had to sort of like pat things down a little bit yeah. and I had to cut some things all together. And it was, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, he's like, do you really want to say you did this? And, and then I'd battle, I'd be like, well, you know, I should tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd be like, no, I don't, I don't want to, you know, so all I have to do is take my book to, you know, a judge or whatever, and then I'm going to be in trouble. So, um, oh, yeah. so yeah, so there, so I, I don't know, there, there were a lot of, it was a very consequential case for me, you know, yeah. and I worked as a PI for 15 years. So it's not, it was by no means. How, how do you become a PI? Like, I know, I know how Magnum PI did, but how did you do it? Right? Well, I got, um. I know this sounds weird, but I got uh, picked for the job in a bookstore. So, was, uh, so you know, that's and I a reason this. people should hang out in bookstores. Exactly. That's, yeah. Then you get your dream career. Um, as if that ever, you know, like how many people get their dream career in a bookstore? But uh, mm -hmm. I think you know, I've I've talked about this in the book a little bit, but like you know, people tend to tell me things. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, at that moment, just the right person started to tell me about his life and uh, and just sort of like spilling his guts. And it turned out to be that lawyer, you know, oh, and wow. and he got very embarrassed and he said, I, you know, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but, you know, he kind of got a little almost mad. And I said, um, it's OK. You know, that happens to me all the time. Please don't worry about it. I won't tell anyone. Don't you know, it's it's just my face, you know, and uh -huh. he immediately saw that opportunity there and he hired me on the spot in the bookstore wow. uh yeah and he's like you want to work as uh you want to work for me you know 
And I was worried that he was going to say something gross. Um, but instead, he, <laughs> <laughs> instead he's like, investigating. You want to work for me on aisle seven. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I have a nice hotel room I can set you up in. Um, no, but How it do was, you feel was... about the sci fi section? It's kind of hidden. <laughs> It's dark in there. <laughs> um, so yeah, I have all these disgusting jokes in my head now. Um, but yeah, so then he he started setting me up with cases, and then this was one of the earlier cases that um, that we took. And you know, the the first cases were just simple PI work, you know, which I didn't really know how to do. So it was this rookie just trying to figure out the job. Um, and then this case, I felt was how I learned how to be a PI. You know, it's because it it took advantage of all the things that I could do kind of just naturally and also took advantage of the things I had socialized myself to do as a survivor of assault, you know? Yeah. So it was really, um, it was a really important case for me. And, um, and the, and the job sort of, it was on the job training. So in the book, I talk about a lot about like things I learned, you know, and this is how it, how it actually works, you know, this is how this job works. And it's a really strange job. It's not like any other job where maybe you have this one group of skills mm -hmm. and it applies to the job, you know, um, PI work is you have to have all these really diverse skills and, in, in, um, and also the desire to, to get better at those things. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a strange job. Um, what a cool job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now tell me what's the next book you're working on. I'm sure it's about mm. butterflies and how they, yes, they fly gracefully rose. through the, <laughs> through the meadows. <laughs> well, my next book is guaranteed bomb. Cause it's a, a collection of short stories and no one buys those. But, oh, um, short stories well, are know, great. I love short yeah. stories. It's one of yeah. my favorite genres. Um, by, I just, I love sisters, but so that's the next thing. And then after that is a novel. Um, that's actually, mm -hmm. uh, you know, based on, since you read Ulysses, we'll decide it's loosely based on Odyssey. How's that for Hubris? Wow. Hubris, right? I can't yeah, wait. So, well, I can't either. It's going to take me forever, but um, yeah. I can't wait either. <laughs> so that's what's next. And after that, I have no, no clue. Yeah, well, we won't know. The whole world will blow up by then, but just as long as it's published. I know, published. or melt. Yeah. <laughs> Erica, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you, Tony. It's been so much fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
Jessica Krause on Drinks with Tony. Check out her new book, Tell Me Everything, The Story of a Private Investigation. Next week on the show, we have Robert Crace, Racing the Light. Uh, I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for reading. Thanks for continuing the storytelling thing. You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz.